25 through 31. John chapter 6, verses 25 through 31, and I'll be reading from the New King James Version. And when they found, them, found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father, he has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who sent that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then, that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Before we begin this morning, two uh, quick items of interest. Uh, number one, uh, the last Sunday of next month, uh, before services, you'll start seeing announcements for it, we're going to have... Uh, uh, like I said, before evening services, we will have a light post training. So for folks who have wondered what this thing is that uh, Logan can't stop talking about, this thing where we pressured you to download the app and get on light post, uh, please make sure to uh, uh, start looking for those announcements because I think you're going to see some really exciting things uh, that we're able to do uh, now and uh, going forward. Uh, number two, uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of next week, I believe that's the first, second, and third, we have a unique opportunity that's been presented to us again uh, with George Junior High. Um, and for those who might be willing to help out a little bit uh, sometime around the lunch hour, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, here at the building, um, please come see Andy or I for some more information. Uh, it is an exciting opportunity that we have, um, and we're blessed to be able to encourage and to reach out uh, and hopefully uh, to bless um, uh, the teachers and uh, students at George Jr. I'm going to do something uh, that's uh, really dangerous, really, for a preacher to do, and you've already seen a little teaser of it. Have you ever had a meal that just truly satisfied you? Can you remember that one time? You know, we don't remember a lot of the meals that we eat. Maybe it was a special occasion, and your steak was cooked exceptionally well. Not well done, but exceptionally good. Maybe it was just perfectly tender. Perhaps you had uh, the best salmon that you've had or maybe lobster or crab. You know, you can keep that if you want. Maybe you had something that was as simple as the greatest chicken sandwich of all time. But it was something that satisfaction was guaranteed. Money back guarantee. And it was something that just so satisfied your hunger That everything, doesn't, uh, that, that everything else after it doesn't really measure up to it. 
satisfaction guaranteed. But how long does that satisfaction last? You know, probably a few hours later, or if you stuffed yourself really good, maybe the next day, you're probably hungry again, and you're going to eat again. And the reality is that no matter how big the steak is, no matter how many patties they put on the uh, burger, no matter how many french fries you eat or chicken fingers you consume, eventually you're going to be hungry again. And that's really what it's all about, isn't it? When we look at our lives and eating, it's, it's full of consumption. We have to continuously put in because if not, we'll die. We need to eat to have the energy to go on. What we've been talking about, uh, last month we began a series on the I am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John. Now, he makes a whole bunch of them, but seven of them are pictures that he paints for us that teach us especially who he is and how he represents that. This morning, obviously, I am the bread of life. But I want you to consider for a moment how many things people try to fill their lives with. It seems like we never have enough ports It seems like we never have enough plugs. It seems like in that box of cords, we never have the right one. I don't know. I I did not take this picture here, just to let you know. I found this online. But doesn't that look like so many things you might see maybe in your house? Maybe behind the TV, you've got the TV that's plugged in, and you have the game system or systems that are plugged in, and you have the DVD player that's plugged in, and you might even still have a VCR for those classic VHS tapes you can't find online plugged in, and you might have another power strip plugged in because by now it's too full with the way it's made, and so you have to daisy chain it, but it's never enough. And there's going to come a time where you plug in that one more thing and you turn it on and the fuse breaks, the, fu- the, fu- the, the uh, fuse blows. You have to go uh, uh, toggle the, uh, the breaker again just to get it all on. When we talk about Jesus and in the Gospel of John in particular, these seven pictures, these seven metaphors that he gives tell us something about his identity because, again, that's what the Gospel of John is all about, that we would believe that Jesus is the Son of God and believing that we would have life in his name, John 20, 20, and 21. Jesus would say, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way the truth, and the life. He would say, I am the true vine. Jesus would make these declarations uh, uh, as people were around, and, and, and they would cause, it would cause a, a big uproar, especially this first one that we look at this morning. Because when Jesus says, I am the bread, he says, I am the bread What he is recognizing is what we've talked about, is that people get hungry. In fact, John chapter 6, and what we're going to do is look at it bit by bit, John chapter 6, going as fast as we can. Please buckle your seatbelts because 
after studying this the last few weeks, I, I've determined that this would be better served in a, uh, three sermons on uh, successive Sundays, but we're not going to do that. We're going to spend our time here this morning in John chapter 6. But think about this. The Gospel of John was written later in John's life where he had time to reflect over his time spent with the Lord and potentially on an island right now when, uh, in writing this, thinking about God, thinking about the church, thinking about those Christians uh, that are coming along now that may not have seen the Lord. It's well worth our time to dig deep. John 6, 1 to 14, Jesus feeds the crowd. Jesus feeds the crowd. And when you're looking at this text, when you're looking through this, keep in mind certain key statements of Jesus. Uh, Maybe your Bible has those red words. Not that those are more important than than, than the others in your Bible, but they really do help us to see what's going on in the text, especially in these first 14 verses, uh, you have um, Jesus feeding the crowd. And notice the question that's asked by Jesus. Verse 5, lifting up his eyes then and seeing the large crowd that was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are you to buy bread so that the people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Notice this. Jesus asked the question, where are we to buy bread? He does it knowing what the answer is going to be. He does this as a test. What's going to happen? He already has a plan in mind. There's obviously not enough food. They don't have enough money to feed what's going to be at least 5,000 people. That just says 5,000 men. What about the women and children that are there? Where are we to buy bread? And then he says, tell the people to sit down. Tell the people to sit down. And they sat down, about 5,000 in number, verse 10. Jesus, verse 11, then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves by those who had eaten. When the people, notice this, saw the sign that they had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Notice what Jesus does here. It's a sign. They see the sign. They recognize that there is something that is unique about Christ. And this isn't the first sign he's done, obviously, in the book of John. It's not the first sign that they've seen Jesus do. But this sign in particular, they recognized as something incredibly important. Notice the comparisons, by the way. Uh, You'll see tie-ins through this text with the Old Testament. Especially here, you have something taking place uh, at least uh, this time and then other times. But Exodus chapter 16 
In Exodus chapter 16, the people are in the wilderness. The Israelites are in the wilderness. In verse 13, in the evening, quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as a frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded, gather of it Each one of you, as much as he can eat, you shall each take an omer according to the number of the persons each of you has in his tent. Notice verse 19. And Moses said to them, let no one leave it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some let part of it till uh, the morning, and and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. Notice this in verse 18, when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. There was nobody who went hungry. There is nobody who had lack. There was nobody, uh, no matter how little it was or how much they took, they were all satisfied. But the command that Moses said was, don't take it up. And they did, and it rotted. It was only meant for a day. Psalm 78, 24 is probably what the Israelites in Jesus' day are referencing. He rained down on them manna to eat and gave them uh, the grain of heaven. But the leftovers would rot. What Jesus did here in feeding of the 5,000, you noticed they took up 12 baskets at the end of leftovers. It didn't rot. But did you know this is not the only time in the Bible where you have this uh, miraculous multiplication of food or this miraculous giving of food? In fact, in 2 Kings, it's kind of overshadowed by uh, two events that happened right before and right after. But in 2 Kings chapter 4, right at the end, there is um, a pot of stew that's being cooked And this is where it gets overshadowed. You talk about this pot of stew and there's death in the pot and there's this struggle and this frustration that because the prophets can't eat this food and there's a miraculous thing done to it and then the prophets can eat it because Elisha healed the stew. Right after that in chapter 4, in verse 42, and it's right before Naaman. Again, it gets overlooked a lot. A man came from Baal, uh, Shalisha, bringing the man of God bread of the first fruits. This is Elisha. He's bringing Elisha bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley, and fresh ears of grain in his sack. Notice how many people is this bread meant for? One. 20 loaves of barley. Their loaves aren't going to be, you know, the massive loaves that, you know, you can go to H-E-B and buy. They didn't have Texas toast back then, that kind of thing. But uh, Elisha said, give it to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, how can I set this before a hundred men? So he repeated, give it, give them to the men that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. So he set it before them and they ate and had some left according to the word of the Lord. Notice they had some left on this occasion. It didn't rot. 
And on the first occasion, you have manna coming down from heaven, and it was something that truly satisfied for a time, but they had to do it each day. And then in 2 Kings, this was food that was divided, and it was truly satisfying for a time, but they had extra that was saved. Bread that was meant for one man feeds a hundred, and they had food left over. And the tie-ins with John chapter 6 just kind of pop, because on the one you have this manna that came down and fed a multitude, an entire nation, and you have the Israelites referencing that here in just a little bit, but what you have with Elisha in that section, it's, it, it's, it's the section of Second Kings that shows that Elisha really is the successor to Elijah. Wasn't Elijah, the spirit of Elijah, supposed to be a successor or a, a precursor to someone? You have John the baptizer coming in the spirit of Elijah. And his successor was one who his sandals he was unworthy to untie. John 1. The tie-ins are clear. They would have brought to remembrance all of those memories that, of, of those, those Bible stories that they would have grown up with that the Jewish nation would have known. Jesus feeds this crowd of 5,000 plus people. But the sign really does point to an identity. He has the authority of heaven behind him. He has the power of God working through him. Jesus feeds the crowd. Continuing on in our text in John 6, 16 to 21, Jesus leaves the crowd, really 15 through 21, perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Notice he leaves. And the question can be asked, well, why? They were going to make him king. More about that in a moment. Continue reading, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea at Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed uh, about two, uh, three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened, but he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him in the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land, uh, at the land to which they were going. Sign number two in this text, Jesus walking on the water. And uh, when, you, when you look at what's going on here again, you could easily ask the question, why did they leave? Why did Jesus leave to begin with? They were trying to make him king. You know, it's kind of a perennial problem for the Israelites. We're studying 1 Samuel right now in the uh, uh, young families class, and the Israelites really wanted a king like the nations about them so that he could fight their wars and things like that. They wanted a king that fit their standards of what a king should be. And isn't this what they're doing here? They want, they, he has just fed miraculously 5,000 people. He can provide for us. That's true. He certainly can. But they want him to be the king that they have in their minds. And this king is not like that. Jesus flees. He leaves the crowd. 
But notice what he says when he goes in the middle, uh, in the in the darkness of night, during a storm, as he's walking on water. He says, "It is I." To his disciples in the boat, do not be afraid. That's technically the first I am statement here in John chapter 6. So you think about what he's saying here. They see this, uh, they think it's a ghost or something like that that's, that's, that's hovering over the water, <clears throat> Genesis 1, but they, they're seeing this take place and he says, I am, do not be afraid. They recognize it's their Lord. He calms the storm. They're, they're over on the other side. Because of Jesus, their fears subsided. So you have Jesus feeding the crowd, Jesus leaving the crowd, and then you have Jesus teaching the crowd. The biggest section, chapter 6, 22, all the way through about verse 59. We won't read the whole thing, uh, but I would encourage you to. Jesus teaches the crowd. And it can be broken up really into about four sections. When you read Jesus saying, truly, truly, I say unto you, or verily, verily, I say unto you. In fact, the first time when he says, truly, truly, I say unto you, what is he talking about? Notice John 6 and verse 25. They didn't see Jesus get on the boat. They didn't see him walk on the water. They see him now on the next day on this other side of the water when they found him on the other side of the sea. They said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Notice what he says. You seek me, not because of what you have seen me do, but because I filled your bellies. And he says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for in, on him God the Father has set his seal." Notice what they see. They see the bread in the sign, but they refuse to see the sign that's in the bread with what Jesus is teaching here. I fed you. They want to be fed again. They're already hungry. Incidentally, it doesn't seem like they can get enough of Jesus, and yet by the end of this conversation that takes place, many of his disciples will leave and follow him no more. Because what he said is, it's a hard saying, not that it's difficult to understand, but it takes a lot of commitment. It takes a lot of commitment. He says, you seek me. In verse 32, Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. They, well, Moses provided food for us in the wilderness. But he says, God gives you the true bread. God gives you 
the true bread. The bread of God, verse 33, is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said, sir, give us, or Lord, give us this bread always. Again, what's the problem? You have the same problem in chapter 4 when Jesus talks about living water and he's at, well, give me this water always. You can have it, but it's not physical. You can have it, but it's not just this, this thing that I provided to you yesterday. That's what they want. Because they do know the natural course of life is that Food needs repetition. You're going to need it again and again and again and again. But do you realize that, that spiritual food needs repetition as well? Mentioned at the very beginning, there's a lot of things that we can try to fill our lives with and, and try to, to put into them. Uh, Andy has said it before, there is a God-sized hole in our lives, and there is only one who can fill it. And often when we try to fill it in with other things in life, whether it be work or family or uh, pleasure, uh, technology, video games or, or addictions to all these sorts of different kinds of things. And the things don't even necessarily have to be evil in of, in of themselves. But when we try to fill our lives with that, it's going to leave a spiritual hunger that cannot be filled but when Jesus calls on people to come after him for that bread, it is a bread that endures, but it is a bread that you have to keep coming after. It provides nourishment, true nourishment. It provides something that's going to last. This true bread is from God, but you have to stay near it. Look down at verse... 41. So the Jews grumbled against him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come down to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God, for he has seen the Father. Truly, truly I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Notice he says, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. In fact, he goes on, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for, this life, uh, for the life of the world is my flesh. I want you to think again about what Jesus is saying here. Physical food lasts for a short time and then it rots. In fact, he brings up what they've already brought up. Yes, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness. Where are they now? They're dead. 
That was something that was temporary for them. But only spiritual food will truly satisfy, will truly nourish, and will truly last. This is something that he is emphasizing for life, for abundance, for continuation. And then 52 through 59, notice what he says. Verse 53 in particular, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Unless you eat, unless you eat, you have no life in you. Notice what he uh, ties, by the way, he says, anybody who believes will have life. And then he says, unless you eat, you have no life. I want you to think about the contrast and the comparisons that he's been going. I know we're going through this very quickly, but I want you to notice these contrasts. The Israelites are upset with Jesus for a number of reasons, but they say, well, you know, Moses, he did greater because the bread that he provided, it was from heaven. Their argument is basically, you just divided some loaves. That stuff was already made on the earth. You just divided it. Still miraculous, but it's not from heaven. It's not from heaven. But what Jesus says is that he is the nourishment straight from heaven. Look at verse 33. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Look at verse 38. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Look at verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Look at verse 32, uh, 42. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Notice verse 50. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Notice verse 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Notice verse 58. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Seven times. That's an important number. Seven times. Jesus says where he came from. The text says where he came from, twice from the enemies, twice from the people who didn't want to believe. Seven times in the text, from heaven, God is the one who provides Jesus as the nourishment straight from heaven. Doesn't that go back to chapter one of John? The Word became flesh 
and dwelt among us, verse 14. We beheld his glory. The emphasis that Jesus is making here is, do you not see? Do you not see that this bread that I gave you, there is something greater about it? Not because it filled your bellies, but because of the one who brought it can fill your soul. But it's more than that. Look again at verse 39. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Look at verse 40. For this is the will of the Father, and everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Look at verse 54. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. You suppose Jesus is making a point. Seven times there is an emphasis on where Jesus came from, coming down and offering himself as the bread of life. But it's not simply spiritual uh, as, as in just the life tied to the Spirit. But he says, on the last day, I will raise up. That means those who have died, who have believed on him and feasted on him for their lives will be raised up. They'll be resurrected. It says they'll live forever. That's repeated, by the way, also. It's life abundant. It's life that, that has a beginning in feasting on Jesus and who he is By the way, this was written, this gospel was written again a bit later than the others as, as far as we understand. And sometimes we like to take John 6 and tie it directly to the Lord's Supper. There is an indirect tie, isn't there? And that it's because of the sacrifice of Jesus but it's not direct because we understand that the, the, the bread and the blood represent his body. And we understand here that this is feasting on him day in and day out, coming to him for spiritual nourishment because he is the only one that provides that's going to last. Jesus is the nourishment from heaven. Jesus is the one who gives life. In the last few verses, the crowd leaves Jesus. The crowd leaves Jesus. It's a hard saying. It's easy enough to understand he's not talking about cannibalism. Some of them want to try to argue that, but they know it's, it's not about that. They know that he is saying something about who he is. 
They wanted to make him king just the day before. In verse 60, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that the disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life, and the flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. Verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back no longer and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? Do you want to go away as well? You got to love Peter. Sometimes he's presumptuous, but sometimes he can hit the nail right on the head. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus is the bread of life. He is the answer to that God-sized hole. He, for life, will provide true nourishment. He himself gave his body and gave his blood to be sacrificed. And he himself has risen again. The question is simple this morning. Where's your nourishment coming from? Are you feasting on the great I am, the bread of life? Or do you also want to go away? Can we help you this morning? We would love to do so. Because we know that Jesus provides the only way and the only bread that truly satisfies unto eternal life. And if we can help you, we ask that you would come forward as we sing this song.